It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, good afternoon and welcome and thank you for joining me here at Talent Talk. Uh, it's Tuesday, so we are doing our weekly hour with two spectacular guests who care about talent and are uniquely talented themselves and having a deep dive conversation about what it is that they're focused on, what they're thinking about, uh, and what things maybe we can learn from them uh, and take back into our workplaces, into our lives, and hopefully you know, get a little better today uh, by listening to what they're doing and, and maybe some of the mistakes and achievements and things that they've had in their lives. So... Um, you know, I really have had the incredible pleasure of meeting so many uh, talented people um, that I generally like to pull them aside and have a conversation and figure out what I can learn from them. And that really became the the impetus of the of this show, right? Which is to let us come together and have this great conversation. And but because we do on the radio show, we allow you all to listen in and hopefully uh, and gain something from that. And there's been so many wonderful stories, so much great knowledge that has come out of this the last four or five years. Uh, recently, my book came out, uh, The Power of Company Culture. It's a bestseller now, and love to have you check it out. And some of my best stories from some of our incredible guests uh, magically found their way in there as they were such great examples um, of, of leadership, of really fantastic leadership, uh, culture, engagement, and some of the best things that we could really be doing in our company. So love to have you check that out, along with everyone else who's tuning in. You know, there's over 10,000 of you a day who are downloading over our podcast on iTunes and iHeartRadio. We were recently, I think, on top five in one of the categories for iTunes, which was really fun. And uh, But, you know, so many of you come in and, and uh, hear us live, but most of you come in after the fact and hear the podcast or even go to talenttalkradio.com. So, Please keep listening, downloading those shows, subscribing, sharing, whatever you can do to help us reach more people and get the word out. We really appreciate it because we want to make sure that the incredible stories and knowledge and wisdom that our guests are giving us today can be heard by as many people as possible. So, um, And we also uh, keep a little you know, live conversation going on Twitter uh, as we do the show live. It's at, at PeoplesG2 is what you can follow. You can also follow the hashtag TalentTalk. My producer, Mike, is, does a great job of doing that that live uh, uh, feed on Twitter. And then um, you can go in there and add your comments and your questions and, and retweet and like. You can also go in there after the fact. If you know you kind of know what day it happened, you can go find out on our Twitter feed and even uh, get us after the fact. That's okay, too. We don't mind if, it's, if it comes in a little bit late. 
few days later, a few weeks, weeks later, or even whatever, we will keep that conversation going. But um, let's go ahead and talk about who my guests are today. Um, they will first, my first guest will be Lisa Dad, um, the a transformational leadership trainer and coach. And then we'll bring in after the commercial break, Richard Mattern, the president of, you guessed it, Mattern Group. So um, let's go ahead and get to my first guest. Uh, Lisa, welcome to the show. Thank you. Nice to be here. Fantastic. Well, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself, uh, you know, what's important for us to know today as it relates to our conversation, and then maybe you can segue that into, you know, what you're doing at your company. Sure. What you need to know about me is that my, I'm on a mission to develop and empower a new breed of leaders. I spent, you know, 15 years in the corporate world sort of navigating a system that always felt like it was missing something for me. And at the time, I thought that the answer for me was to leave. And so I literally walked away from a successful career to figure out what that was for me. And as I started working and helping other people with their own major transformations, I started to recognize this pattern. And I started to see areas where, you know, leaders could develop themselves and not have to make such drastic changes. And so I ended up in this transformational leadership space and realized how much power that could have by going back into corporate and helping uh, connect people to exactly what they were creating and, and connecting them in a deeper way so that we didn't have so many people um, exiting, exiting organizations and corporations for um, that feeling that they were missing something. Because as I, the more and more people that I interviewed, I, I wrote a book about it, the more people I interviewed, the more I realized that they, they weren't necessarily needing to leave the environment they were in to find what they were looking for. And many of them actually went back or were even struggling with where they were even more than they had in the first place. So it really sounds like your own personal journey really, you know, impacted your career path and, and led to what you're doing today. And, you know, um, as you were talking, the kind of big thing that really stood out to me was that idea of a small change. And I've been talking about this for a while in in the work that I do, that often people believe they have to make a gigantic change, right? You have to move from one coast to the other or, you know, stop having a car and riding a bike. I mean, just these drastic changes, right? I'm kind of bringing up some ridiculous examples here, but, you know, leave your company and go start a consulting company or whatever it may be. And really what it looks like is the small change because they end up doing a lot of the same things in a new role, right? But in the new role, there might be some small change that can bring them a sense of accomplishment, a new challenge, uh, something. So is that what you're seeing is really the, the small changes have the biggest impact? Yeah, I would say there's small but significant changes and where the changes happen because the drastic changes that are easier to make in some ways is I'm going to just completely change companies, leave companies. For me, I moved countries. I'm, I'm actually from the East Coast in Canada, so literally drove across the country um, and made some major changes. And at the end of the day, what I recognized was that I had been waiting for things to change in my company or external to me for me to feel connected. And all of a sudden, once I got that connection of like, wait a second, I could show up differently and I could perceive things around me differently, then my entire view of leadership completely changed. Recognizing that it's not necessarily, we talk a lot about corporate culture and creating a corporate culture and being in the right corporate culture is a huge factor, 
And it's not the only thing. You know, companies are not going to save us or connect us to feeling like we are having a deep and meaningful role in the world if we don't also work on us. And and so what were some of the, you know, as you stepped away and you got these deeper understandings um, of what corporate and organizational structure really looked like, uh, what they meant to you, you know, what were some of those big takeaways for you? Um, and, and what were maybe some of the takeaways as you came back, um, you know, that were really important? Yeah, one of, one of the biggest shifts for me was almost redefining leadership in general. For me, and I think society embraces the idea that a leader is the loudest person in the room standing at the front with a microphone. And I started to really appreciate the, the real powerful leaders lead no matter where they are. They can, you can lead from the back of the room, you can lead from the side of the room, because the influence and impact you can have on individuals really relates to how you show up. And that was a big shift for me because it was, you know, climbing this corporate ladder, not realizing it was leaning against the wrong wall at the time and, and believing that that, you know, positional um, hierarchical power was, you know, the place to get to. And, and it started to shift for me to realize that the more I embraced exactly the, the pieces of me that I could actually show up as a leader, I didn't I was having even more impact and influence without even needing that structure or that position that, you know, I've been climbing in the corporation. So it, it's a quite a shift in mindset to show up that way. And then the natural leaders that are meant to be at the front of the room lead, guiding the rest of us um, will filter there as well. But it's, it's this idea that everybody individually can show up as the biggest, the strongest leader of themselves in their own lives and actually impacts others around them, around them in a profound way. So your passion now is really in developing this new breed of audaciously conscious leaders. Um, what what does that mean, and and you know why why do you think it's the important focus um, in today's workplace culture? So for me, that audaciously conscious is a way of saying bold, willing to take risks, to be open to unconventional ways of developing our leaders. You know, in in traditionally we develop leaders. You know, we teach them communication styles and archetypes. We run them through a disc or a strength finder, and we tell them their strengths and, and tweak, how the, you know, the way that they're communicating with individuals. And so for me, an audaciously conscious leader is willing to be radically self-aware and actually go deeper than that. Not to say, you know, I think a strong leader acts this way and dresses this way. It's like, okay, and what do they embody? You know, when they walk into the room, why do we know they're a strong leader? What exactly is that presence that they come into the room with? Because that's the influence and the impact that you can have. And so for me, it's a bit audacious to think that things have been done similarly for years. We read the same business. You ask people, I know at, at this show, you ask them at the end of the show, what book are you reading? And a lot of podcasts do that. And it's the same books we've been reading for 20, 30, 40 years and following the same guidelines. And yet there's still this depth that's missing, um, that you can see sort of naturally occurs from people that are, are, have really mastered being a strong, powerful leader. And so to me, the, audate, the audacity to actually embrace that growth mindset um, fully and completely in a way that we haven't before. Yeah, and, that, and that's really important. Um, you know, there's so many different places we can go and we can 
we can look. I mean, there's uh, you know quite a bit of uh, disengagement that you know people like Gallup have have even reported around you know how employees feel about their the jobs. You know, and it really hasn't seemed to have had a major change over the last few decades. Do you have any insight or thoughts as to why that is? Yeah, I, I, first of all, it's a sad it's a sad stat to me that we keep posting this idea that eighty percent of people are disengaged at in the workplace, and that it seems the stat in has not changed in decades. And I believe that although the the intention and the attempt has been there and we're shifting corporate cultures, you've seen a lot of shifting, I still think it's at a superficial level. So, you know, um, even in the corporation I was in, we did the Gallup survey and, and they spent time and intention on we want to know why you're disengaged. And the changes that they made were not fully in line with exactly what they were getting from people. So you'll see workplaces say, you know, change this modern, oh, throw in a foosball table and have a cocktail hour at 5 o'clock for people, or we'll let people work remotely for a day or two. And although those are nice structural changes, it hasn't actually changed the mindset of the way we show up for people, what we require of people, how, um, how we're looking at where people are connected in the work that they're doing, if they're placed in the right uh, position and what that actually looks like. So I, I think that there's just they're missing a little bit of that, of going a bit deeper and looking deeper at that. Because right now, if it's, we're just making these surface environmental shifts, people are exiting and we're seeing it in huge numbers. People are leaving the corporations. If I, don't, if I want to work from home, I can just go work from home and not work for anybody else. And I get you know, different freedoms that come along with that. So I think there's something deeper because as I've spoken to people who have left, it's they're still missing it. And it's until they start actually looking at exactly where the disconnect is that we start making a little bit of, oh, okay, here's the shift that I needed to make when I was back in that corporate position. Yeah, and and what do you think it's going to take for us to really evolve for organizations to consistently evolve. And you started to mention some of the things that would be important, but are there are there things that they need to start doing differently or is there things that they need to start thinking about differently? I mean, where do they start? Yeah, so for me, I think it's embracing. I, I mentioned already sort of a bit of an unconventional mindset. For me, I shifted from a very traditional conservative corporate environment. Um, I came from the world of pharmaceuticals where literally everything needs to have a randomized placebo-controlled trial of 50,000 patients before anything moves. And I moved into the entrepreneurial space and was working with a lot of transformational leaders where it's completely the opposite. And what I recognized was that each of them was missing a core component that the other needed. So, you know, corporate has the intellectual, strategic, structure, all of these things. The transformational side has the passion, the heart-centered, the all of these connected, really focus on the connected piece and is missing all of the structure. And so for the next level of engagement, I think, is to blend these things, is that instead of just working on people's mindset and educating and knowledge, is like, what does it look like to have people more connected, to have them more heart-centered, which can sound super esoteric to a corporate organization to say, that's a little bit on the woo-woo side. It's like, well, what if we actually could develop people, not just their minds, not just giving them concepts and knowledge, but what if we could actually work on how connected they are and what that means and maybe even take it one step deeper and look at how they're tapping into their instincts and those natural gifts and how are we leveraging those? We have people in corporate positions that have brilliant skills 
somewhere else that nobody knows about because there's not there's not a framework for that to surface and to be supported and to grow and so it, it it's a wider perspective i believe that needs to happen and to be open to it instead of saying well wait a second you know mindset and mindfulness is starting to come into the corporate workplace but i still think it's at a fairly wait and see kind of um, stage it's like okay we'll we'll give you a mindset workshop for three days this month and then that's it we're all mindful now so it's being open to those concepts that in the past have really been like that is not going to affect our bottom dollar so we don't go there yeah and and that's there's so much there and obviously the, the bottom dollar part is really important right and often that's why certain things don't get done is maybe certain parts of your organization don't believe it will impact the bottom dollar or it won't impact the bottom dollar enough for them to want to put resources and time behind it. Um, or uh, very often I've seen that, you know, the case hasn't been made by the, the those involved in that to really show how it will impact the bottom dollar. The, you know, that and, and there needs to be that openness for that dialogue, that discussion and the, and the trial of it. And hence why I say audacious, because it is a bit, it is bold and it is, you know, out there a little bit to think, that what if we can, comp- and, and I'm not saying shift completely one way. It's not a pendulum. It's not, we don't go from one extreme to the other. It's that we have the capacity to, to look at three specific areas that we've been given as humans. And what if we developed all of them in synergy? I'm not saying throw out the strategy and the logic and the rationale because that needs to be there. The question is what part are we not tapping into that's actually causing a really disengaged Workforce. That's why Gallup hasn't changed. People are missing that connection piece, and yet we don't work on developing it. Yeah, and it's pretty important, right? <laughs> and <laughs> well, and yet we are seem to be missing so much line. of it. Yeah, exactly. So it is. It is does impact the bottom line. If you ask any um, talent retention manager, they'll tell you that the cost to losing somebody and and bringing a new person in and training them is is significant. Yeah, and you know the there's traditional organizational structures that are sort of turning it one way, and the, there's a lot of other organizations that are experimenting with some different ways, different structures. I mean, certainly Zappos has been pretty public about their their attempt to change some pretty radically. Have, have what what do you think we can learn from these more dynamic and transformational companies that are looking at the structures a bit differently? Um, for me, the big word is willingness. It's a willingness to do something drastically different for people to say, wow, that's a little weird. Yeah, we're, we're actually going in this direction. We're opening the possibility for it, and we're going to try it for not just, uh, you know, three workshops in one month, but we're actually building a structure based on it. So, I mean, right now, a lot of the traditional corporate companies are, have switched to from the hierarchical, you know, structure to cross-functional teams in an effort to create greater collaboration versus competition is a step in the right direction. Now, the piece that I believe is missing is that they haven't trained people. They haven't given them the foundational skill sets in order to be leaders and show up and, and thrive in that structure. Now, the Zappos, you know, and those companies throw out the rule book and start from scratch and build from there, and they're trying new things. And so that there's a piece of willingness. I think, and shifting. It's like, okay, we're going to make some changes, but fundamentally we kind of want you to prove it to us before we're really going to embrace that. I know I had a company culture where they were um, encouraging um, innovation by dictating it. We will be innovative rather than changing 
the the foundation of the way we worked in order to some support and grow innovation organically. And so it's that mind shift that gets to change. So how do you see the uh, next level or direction of, you know, for company cultures and engagement? Where do you think that's really going to be coming from? For me, it comes from first that recognition, and this is why I'm I'm passionate about developing audaciously conscious leaders because it's still in in the grand scheme of things comes from the leaders first, and so working on those leaders and shifting that way of being then sets them up to bring that culture into the corporation and start making the the foundational shifts that have to happen along with it. And it needs that buy-in. I think that's, that's one thing that hasn't also changed, is that getting the buy-in from the stakeholders in the organization so that the shift gets made not only from a, okay, um, we'll put it on our KPI for the year, but it actually comes at a, at a deeper level of actually wanting to connect, connect the organization in a deeper way so that we can keep people, we can keep the talent, because the talent that's running out the door is not your low-performing individual, high-performing individual that are disconnected. And, and the other ones are, as we say, from Gallup, 80% disengaged. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I was recently in Europe, and they, their disengagement scores are even higher. So um, it was funny how they would be happy to be where we're at. Um, <laughs> but still, it's not good, right? But, you know, there are organizations, it really is a kind of a, a tricky number because there are a lot of organizations where it's really bad, and that brings the number down. And a lot of organizations organizations which are really good, the number is really high, and I think it's a matter of mm-hmm. of finding those, uh, maybe finding the right fit for you and uh, finding where, you know, you're going to be able to give yeah. a good score as, as the average person working inside of a company. Um, Definitely. And, I mean, that brings me back to the point, of course, that it doesn't just come from the company. We need 100% personal accountability for individuals. So, again, if we can train individuals within a corporation to be responsible for that piece of it and not wait for the company, right? Because, oh, well, my company's not, you know, I'm not really happy with my company. I'm kind of waiting for them to change. doesn't work either. So there's the leaders bringing the, the changes into the organization, and then there's also training your people to own their piece of it. This is not a one-person solution. This is a shift in mentality to say, you know, this is a good company at the core, and if I'm disconnected, what needs to happen? And am I communicating that? Or am I literally shutting down? you know, mailing it in every day and going home and, you know, binge watching Netflix. What does that look like? And who is responsible for that part of it? So there's a shift in accountability that gets to happen as well. Right. Right. Absolutely. Well, what, uh, what book, uh, are you reading right now that you might share with us or one that you typically, you know, suggest people check out? Well, right now, um, I guess I'm just going to some questions, but right now, um, the book that I'm reading is the, the big leak by Gay Hendricks and, the fascination there for me is, the, again, the mindset that helps us self-sabotage from going from wherever we are to the next level of where we want to go. Um, I'm very big right now into books that bring up uh, what to do about our own limiting beliefs and self-sabotage, because I believe that that radical self-awareness I was talking about and shifting, shifting our way of being and not saying, okay, well, yeah, this is my go-to place. It's like, okay, why am I doing that? The Big Leap talks a lot about that. So I, I suggest that to people that are wondering why they keep hitting a ceiling and not being able to expand their life in the direction they want to go. Right, right. 
Well, what um, the other question that we love to ask our guests is, is there a gadget or uh, an app or, you know, something that you have started using, uh, maybe connected to a New Year's resolution or maybe just something cool you found recently uh, that you might share with us? A gadget or an app? Let's see. No, I'm, it's not new, but my go-to app is Evernote, and it's maybe an old-school thing for people now because there's all sorts of new ones, but um, there's so many ways to use it that's so efficient and productive for me. Um, I, I encourage people I encourage people to journal a lot, and Evernote allows me to voice journal. So I, I do long trips across the country when I'm going back and forth from Canada to the U.S., so I love um I love being productive the whole way through. So not very new or exciting, maybe, um, but certainly effective and efficient for the way I work. Well, that's great. Um, you know, a lot of people, it's funny how that came out. It was really hit, kind of hit hard and then kind of disappeared almost a little bit. I don't know if it was not as ready, didn't have quite all the tools. But recently I've gone back to it because it's really, really good. Um, and it yeah. has so many good tools and it works yeah. really, really, really well, especially for teams who are collaborating and doing different things. Um, yeah. It's really no, great. It. It's maybe not the sexy new one for sure. Everybody wants the new app and sometimes there's some good standards that you can go back to. <laughs> yeah, when they've done a good job of keeping up and trying to be the sexy new app again by mm-hmm. you know having new features and things, so yeah. uh, which is really, really great. Well, um, really appreciate you being on the show today. We learned a lot, and um, most importantly, want to make sure that people know how they can get a hold of you if they're interested in working with you. Yeah, the best way is through LinkedIn, um, and you can just search me on LinkedIn at Lisa Dad. It's D A D. Well, fantastic. Again, Lisa, thank you so much for sharing um, your great insights on leadership and giving us a lot to think about. Hopefully, we can have you come back at some point and give us a little update on what you're doing and what you're thinking about. Um, But uh, we'll be right back after this quick commercial break and bring in our second guest, Richard Mattern. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system, or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news? Or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Welcome back to the Town Talk Radio Show. My next guest will be Richard Mattern, is the president of the Mattern Group. As a reminder, uh, don't forget to tweet your questions right now to at PeopleG2. Uh, include that hashtag Talent Talk. You can also watch the live uh, blogging of this uh, through Twitter. And if you're listening to this after the fact, you can still pop in there and find uh, any of our, the little comments and suggestions uh, related to this show and make your comments then or maybe follow our guests and send them questions that way. So um, 
Don't forget to subscribe to Talent Talk in iTunes on the podcast app there or through iHeartRadio if you'd like to listen there. All of those are good and great. i uh, love to have everyone connecting with us. And like as we said, over 10,000 of you a day are downloading one of our shows, and it is absolutely spectacular. So keep that up. All right, let's go ahead and bring in Richard to the show. Welcome, Richard. Hey, good afternoon. Thank you. Why don't you tell them a little bit about yourself, you know, what's important for us to know about you for today's conversation, and tell us more about your organization as well, the Mattering Group. Well, I'm probably one of the few people you've ever met, Chris, that spent their, most of their history in the material handling industry. It's a business-to-business environment, and uh, I had the pleasure of working in marketing and direct sales I uh, spent a lot of time in automated warehousing, distribution, robots. And one of the things I got to do was uh, visit hundreds of manufacturing and distribution operations where I had an opportunity to learn from customers what they're doing, what was working, what wasn't working. And being a salesperson, you kind of carry that on to the next company. Uh, back to the material handling, I had a great mentor who taught me how to think out of the box or forced me to think out of the box. And uh, had the pleasure of running two companies, one of which was run down and the other one was broken. We got them both fixed. And I think the success came from uh, two things. One is seeking counsel from smart people and also valuing the employees that were within the company. After I left the last company, I sold, sold out. I went on several nonprofits. Uh, started the first tee of Orange County, California, which is a nonprofit. Uh, the goal of which is to generate good citizens out of our children through the game of golf. We don't care if they're great golfers, but we want them to be great citizens. And um, also on the board of uh, Council on Aging for Southern California. And started a consulting business. I'm a one-man show. I have a few friends that I can bring in that are experts in different areas. And I've worked with some manufacturing and software projects. So... That's the Matern Group. Sounds like you've got uh, a lot of different things going on and you keep yourself busy, which is fantastic. You know, what, what is really the mission statement that, you know, for you and your company um, as, as the real value add that, you know, you bring, um, you know, through your business every day? Chris, when I was visiting all these hundreds of plants, I spent a lot of time as a salesperson in the front lobby, bored to death, and so is would take the reading mission statements and finding that I was always wondering if anybody in the company actually ever read their statement or knew anything about it. And the same way with the value statement you would read. And I was determined that when I got my company that somehow we would solve that. So after I got in business, I came up with a mission statement that was very simple and I wanted it to be the crux of the business and set the tone for everything we did. And the mission statement was very simple. We'll be the best in our industry at solving our customers' problems. Doing that will make us and our customers market leaders. And that sets a whole interesting tone for everybody in your company. You know, like right now, it's February. How many people in management meetings have sat down to discuss finances, forecasts, manufacturing problems, distribution issues? Quite a few, I imagine. But how many meetings, 
How many people have sat down and had meetings about solving customers' problems or adding value to the customer? Um, I used to start my staff meetings once I got smarter. And the first thing I asked every person was, what did you do this month? Something different that you or your, your people did to solve a customer problem or to add value to our services. And if you just focus on solving customers' problems, they're a lot, instead of selling, they're a lot easier to work with and they're happy to see you. So that's was my take on the mission statement. Yeah, yeah. And so what kind of clients or kind of customers are, are you typically working with? Well, right now it's just a couple manufacturing and one software company, but when I go back to when I had my uh, other company, we, were, we had 250 employees, and we worked with virtually every type of company. Everybody had material handling equipment from forklifts to racks to conveyors, and we worked with them. Right, and so now that kind of gives you a wider, uh, sounds like a wider grasp as far as who you work with. And uh, as you said, you're kind of being a one-man show. It gives you a lot of flexibility there. Uh, how do people, you know, know how to make the right decision uh, then, you know, whether in, the, in these different tough situations? Imagine they might bring you in when they have a particularly acute thing happening in their organization. Um, but, you know, what's the typical, is there a process or, or a way that you kind of help people make those right decisions? You know, it's, it's kind of interesting because some people take advice and some people just want to go through the, the, the process. Uh, but back when I had my company, we had a mantra, you know, the mission statement, solve a customer's problems. So if one of our people were working with customers and came across an issue and had to make a decision that was in the best interest, they were explicitly told to solve the customer's problem make the decision to do that because if you keep a customer you have somebody to pay the bills if you lose a customer you've you've got nothing in the bank so and, and working with small people or, or small companies sometimes they're very hesitant to change because the president of the company who started the company has a formula in his head and or her head and they're They've grown successful using that formula, and to take the next step, they may have to change. And that makes them very uncomfortable on occasion. Well, I love that uh, you sort of started off that with uh, differentiating those two pretty typical groups of people, those that are willing to take advice, that want advice, and those that want to go through the exercise of advice, but <laughs> sort of alluded to the fact that they don't end up actually taking it. Um, being in a few consulting roles at times myself, I mean, I've had that before where, you know, uh, people will go through this entire process and then, you know, ultimately not ever really change anything. And um, it's a pretty, pretty normal outcome, um, uh, despite whatever evidence or whatever things come by. Uh, do you think that's because people aren't ready to make the change? Are they just not uh, convinced? Is it just, uh, you know, what, what, what do you think kind of is kind of going on when, when people are, are failing to, to maybe act or move on? What seems to be pretty, uh, maybe a pretty standard way to, to move forward, or uh, you know, it's, we're not asking them to to change their entire you know business or to you know instead of selling this widget, sell that widget. But these are probably usually pretty simple changes, and they don't end up actually making them. Have you, have you kind of seen a similarity there? Yeah, it goes all over the spectrum. You know, you get 
when I would walk into a customer and I could ask one question and I could tell you I got so much feedback from that one question that I knew exactly what my problems were going to be that I had to overcome with the customer. And it, and it was had to do with when's the last time you changed your manufacturing process? Well, we, we haven't changed that for 30 years. Bill laid it out and that's the way we still do things. Well, you know, the really good companies will change every month. They will, they're constantly seeking to improve and they're not afraid of failure. So I think there's a mentality that management, and actually all of us live with is that we're fearful of failure because of the price we pay if, if something's wrong. And, and once that takes over, then you don't experiment like you should. And, um, and I've seen it in several environments where <laughs> we were seeking counsel. I don't know if you've heard of a group called Vistage, but it's a national organization and presidents of companies can join and we have our own group. We had the same group we'd meet once a month and I was a member for years. And one of the members uh, brought up the point that he wasn't sure how to pay bonuses this year. They fell like half a percent from their game plan and uh, they would have exceeded their game plan except that they tried something new and it failed. And he said, I, I think I'm going to have to dock them some of their bonus. And I said, go ahead, but you've just extinguished any creative thought amongst your people because now you're equating failure to a lack of income. And, and people aren't willing to pay the price to lose income or lose their bonus because they failed. So they're going to stick to you and say, what do you want us to do, boss? And that's not what you want good people to do. Good people won't do that. So I think it's getting rid of the fear of failure, getting out and being sensible about it, but try something new. And a lot of people don't like to do that. Yeah, yeah. And that, and that's very true. And I think you give a really good example of how you know, a small change, which is well intended, maybe, you know, I mean, make it an adjustment on a bonus, but can have such a huge impact on how people might, you know, move forward going, you know, throughout the next year. Um, and will probably do nothing to get themselves in position to have earned that next bonus uh, by sort of handicapping their their thought process or their risk taking uh, uh, decision making and ideas. So it's a really good example. Uh, as we're sort of talking about some things that managers can do or uh, senior le level leadership can do to be successful. Do you have other key things that you look for or you suggest people, you know, do that, that you, you, you see or, you know, kind of lead to success on a consistent basis? In my experience, it was always easier to fix something that was broken because people were in a state of mind to accept change because <laughs> they knew if it didn't get fixed, they probably didn't have a company to come to work for. And, and, and so they were very malleable and, and, and uh, open to new ideas and, and were, were keen. But, you know, I think the success comes in talking with your people, respecting them, and uh, figuring out how to get their input without you prejudicing it, being prejudicial. Uh, you know, Simon Sinek had a comment that, the manager should be the last person to talk. And 
You know, the worst thing you could do as a manager is to go into a room and say, we have this problem, here's my ideas, what do you think about it? You just now stifled any new input because the, the people are just going to feed back to you what they think you want to hear because you've, you've thought this through and this is your idea. Whereas if you sit down and you, and this is a tactic that I learned the hard way, is you sit down and you say, what's your idea? And, and the first time you do that, everybody kind of goes blank in the room and uh, they're afraid to speak. But you got to sit there, you got to kind of prod them along. Don't give them a yes or a no. Just ask clarifying questions. What happens if this happens or so and so? And you'll work your way around the table. And if you're a really good manager and you got your A game on, you know pretty much what needs to be done because you may have more input than those sitting around the table. And you can work your way into getting the best solution, but let them think they came up with it. And then you have a team that's on fire. And um, you get a lot of stuff done that way. And you get people to buy in because they were respected. You listen to them. And uh, they feel like they are adding value. And, and so what you're you know, sort of talking about is some of the ways in which leaders, especially our senior leaders or even the CEO, the president, whoever it may be, really starts to set the tone of how that organization is going to function and how they're going to establish their culture. So, um, you know, how do you how do you think that those types of people should be looking to create it um, you know, if they want employees to buy in and really believe it? Are there you know, certain things that aside from what you just mentioned that they ought to be thinking about or, or doing on a regular basis? You know, I go back to the comment I made about the Vistage organization. Whether or not they join Vistage or anything else, I think it's it's part of the responsibility of management to keep themselves up to date, to hear things. Um, when we presented our plans to our group at the, at our monthly meeting, uh, you had a lot of critics. And so you got some direct feedback. And, and I that only comes from outside. The people below you, most of them are never going to give you direct feedback that's negative because that's not their job. And I don't say that uh, in a negative way. It's just saying that they're vulnerable. Uh, the other thing that happened at Vistage, and I don't mean this to be a paid ad for Vistage, but um, they bring in speakers every other month or eight times a year that were experts in certain areas of the business world. And if you sit back and listen to them, and that's how I was able to really change the whole tenor of the company that was broken, is I got some great insight from a couple of the speakers, and uh, it set the tone for what I had to do in the company. and gave me the guidelines, uh, the principles to follow. Yeah, and and those are, you know, sort of getting to with Visage or whatever CEO group they might be in. It's that it's that idea of being a constant learner about uh, taking, you know, being able to have your 
challenge people to be able to challenge your beliefs, challenge your your thoughts, your you know whatever your, the decisions that you're thinking about making, and having that openness. And I think that that's the starting point, right? At least they can allow their peers to do that, and then if they can take that and move that down in the organization, allow their employees and uh, different stakeholders to be a part of those those conversations and to be open to to learning and to being being challenged. I notice that's a pr- pretty big kind of you know starting. Uh, starting block for, for, for a good company, a good organization, you know, then that, that starts to really then allow or, you know, different organizations to work on their managers and allow them to, to be a greater part of that, uh, I guess, that process, right, in leading people instead of it being just completely top down that you've got lots of different people and, you know, different components. You know, what are some of the, the things you think that managers right now are, are are focusing on. So we've, we've talked a little bit about, you know, the senior leadership. What about the, you know, sort of those managers in the middle? What, what, what's sort of their, you know, some of the things they ought to be thinking about that's key for them? That's kind of a tough one. But, you know, everybody knows their, their table stakes. You know, what do you bring to the job? If you're a sales manager, you know what the key elements of that are. And, and or if you're the uh, uh, CFO and, and or anybody else in the company, you, you kind of have the, your job description. But, you know, it's up to the management team to make life interesting. If you have a strategic plan, if you've got the people in place, you have a system to back check on it and and you fund it, life should be good. You should be having a good time. And the the key thing, I think, that the managers, especially the middle-level managers, because they're involved in things more day-to-day, I was always taught that a good manager makes it easier for his people or her people to get the job done, get the barriers out of their way, overcome political issues or silo thinking issues or, or, well, we've done it that way for 25 years issues. And it's, it's really the responsibility of the middle managers, I think, to, to surface those barriers and smash them. Because people are wasting their time. And, and then it makes it a lot more fun when, when you're doing a job you like and you're seeing something grow. Middle, middle managers right now, I think, with the, the pressure of the economy and it's been good for a few years, everybody's expects, concerned about it not being good, and so they're kind of hanging on for dear life. And, and uh, But I really think that their prime responsibility is making it easier for their people to get the job done. Right. Yeah, I agree. Well, uh, is there a book that you're reading right now you might share with us or one that you typically, you know, recommend to people? Well, (laughs) I've I've been into TED Talks quite a bit. And I enjoy listening and watching more than I actually do a reading. I have a friend who, uh, when I joined a company, gave me, 30 books to read, and unfortunately, I read them all. Uh, but I like to, right now, I like Simon Sinek and um, his conversation on being the last to eat or the last to speak and the impact it has on your people to get them involved. I went through a process in the company I had that everybody in the company, all 250 people, went through a two day session. In the end of the session, they went through it in groups of about 25. At the end of the session, 
I was at the end of the session where they would make uh, presentations on ways to improve our company or to add value to the customer. Things that were not right. Can you imagine how powerful that is to have 250 people in the company tell you ways to get better? Yeah. And yeah. we started a program and, and uh, I started documenting all the suggestions. We categorized them into four different areas. We said, these are the ones we're working on. These are the ones we got to figure out how to do because of financial or time restrictions. The third category was with a pipe dream, so we didn't call them pipe dreams, but we said, hey, this is out in the future. We're just absolutely not ready. And the fourth category were things that were already done. And I did that, and I wrote letters to people, the whole company, explaining these categories. And as we got things done, we marked them off, and, and the people really glommed onto that because their ideas were listened to, they were respected, and they saw that the company actively started doing it. And I'm going to tell you, the inside of the company, it was really a lot of fun because people were engaged and it helped really helped change the tenor of the company. Sure. So, sure. I, yeah, I agree. Well, and I think you, you kind of uh, have mentioned uh, Simon Sinek there. I think the book uh, is uh, Leaders Eat Last, uh, which is one of a yes. great book of his. Uh, so uh, certainly that one sounded like you were in a roundabout way suggesting. Um, and people, we've had other, other guests mention that one, and we've read it in our book clubs, and it's a great one. So highly suggest that people check it out. Uh, speaking of checking things out, how can people get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more about you or the Mattern Group? Well, if they want to, uh, my email address, uh, rjmatern7705 at gmail, or they can call me. And my number is 215-622-1990. I'm more than happy to talk to somebody, even, even just to give advice or just to discuss things, you know, just to be a sounding board. I always enjoy talking with people and connecting with them. Well, fantastic. Uh, Richard, thanks again so much for being on the show today. Uh, and uh, really learned a lot uh, in talking with you. So hopefully we have you come back at some point and give us an update. Um, otherwise, uh, next week, we'll have Cindy Ballard on, the CHRO of ICM Partners, uh, will be joining me. But until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2. 